Cool, guys. So I'm starting a new series today called Telios. Uh, I had a nice picture for it. I don't know if you can still put it up. Uh, and so I believe we've come out of the wilderness um, that we were talking about. And now we've got to come into this place called Telios. Where Telios basically means uh, reaching its end or full grown or to be mature. Um, that is the idea of Telios where you come into your fullness. You, there's a metamorphosis that happens where you come into a place of mature, maturity or perfection almost. But I'd go with the words reaching its end, full-grown, mature. And today I want to start with the idea of renewing our faith for the new post-COVID landscape that we have to journey through. And I'll talk about that next week. What does the post-COVID landscape look like? Because I keep repeating that word. Uh, it almost sounds like uh, Jurassic Park 4 or something. But next week, we'll explain what post-COVID landscape looks like. But um, uh, today, we're going to talk about how do we renew our faith? Because uh, we need faith for what we are, need to step into. When it comes to anything that God reveals, because we talked about how in the wilderness, God was revealing things to us, that he was showing us his power so that we can come back out of it stronger. So one of the things that happens is whenever God reveals something, he reveals it and then gives us permission to walk in it. And after he gives us permission to walk in it, he expects us to uh, exert faith or uh, release faith or realize, realize it through faith, actually. Realize it through faith. So anytime God reveals something, his intent is, now that I've revealed it to you, I'm giving you permission for it. But you can only realize it through faith. I'm giving you permission to walk in it. And I'll even give you the provision. So, for example, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 6, God comes and says to Moses, Hey, Moses, I just want you to know that I am who I am. And I'm, that is the revelation I'm giving you. Then he says to Moses, listen, Moses, I want you, I'm giving you permission to go back into Egypt and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And then in verse 21, he says to Moses, hey, by the way, Moses, I just want you to know that when you leave Egypt, you will not go empty handed. I will provide for you. And now after having said all that, Moses had to step out in faith. But our problem, or at least my problem, is very often when it comes to faith, I have realized two things, that I still lack confidence in some areas and I still operate in fear yeah different pen I still operate I still lack confidence and I still operate in fear I don't know if that's common to you but I'm still struggling with it I still stuff, suffer in certain areas from a lack of confidence. I'm not confident that God will necessarily do it. And then I still operate in fear. And it shows two things. If I'm lacking confidence and I'm operating fear, it means that I really haven't come to a place called teleos when it comes to love and when it comes to faith. The Bible says perfect love casts out fear. If I'm still afraid, it means I haven't matured in love. And I haven't matured in faith because I still am not confident. And my struggle, and this, uh, again, uh, 
uh, I could easily say our struggle, but my struggle is I sometimes find that God is, uh, I had, uh, this was a very difficult teaching to write. I had to go and say to God, listen, God, I'm going to say something now that is going to make me look ugly and make it look like I'm accusing you. But uh, please, can you handle it? And of course he can. So here's what I've realized, that in some areas, I find God unreliable. I find him unreliable. I'm not sure that if I lean back on him, that he'll actually come through. I find him unreliable in some areas. For some of us, it may be a few areas. For some of us, it may be some areas. For some of us, it may be many areas. And then I was telling him that not only do I find you unreliable, but I find that I can't hold you to account or demand an answer from you or keep you answerable to me for being unreliable. And that frustrates me even more because when he, when, it, when he doesn't come through, it's not like I can get, go and say, excuse me, how come you didn't do this? I can't do that. He's God. It's almost like he gets away with it. This is why I said I told him ahead of time that this is going to be an ugly conversation. Now, either this is my experience and it's not yours, or perhaps it's your experience also. By the look of your faces, some of you are pretending, some of you are letting on. Any questions, anything you want to add? Do you understand what I'm saying? My struggle in my experience of God, our struggle in my experience of God, I still find that in some areas I think of him as unreliable in those areas. As in, it's not that he hasn't come through. It's not that he won't come through. It's not that he doesn't come through. But I still am not sure that if I lean back, that I won't fall. I just, it, it's like a 50-50 chance sometimes, or a 75-25 chance. And then I find it difficult that if he's unreliable, I can't hold him answerable or accountable. Because he's God, so I, he, he does what he wants to do. So what was God's response? God's response was, hey, Jacob, can you pick an area where you find me highly reliable? So I started thinking, okay, what area do I find God absolutely reliable all the time? Where I'm never in doubt that he's totally reliable. I've never doubted it in my life. One of the areas that I found where I'm absolutely sure of his reliability is when it comes to forgiveness. I found that it doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter how I did it deliberately or unknowingly, whether I did it with my eyes wide open or my eyes wide shut. It doesn't matter how I did it. I find that when it comes to forgiveness, he's absolutely reliable. That I can go to him and tell him that I was sorry, I did it knowingly, I knew I could come and talk to him about it after I committed the sin, and I can go through everything starkly with him, but I'm absolutely sure that God will forgive me. And he asked me this question, Why are you so sure that I'll forgive you? Why are you so confident that you can rely on me for forgiveness? And my answer was fourfold. One, his word, I'm absolutely sure of his word in that area. That if I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive me. I'm absolutely sure of that. His nature, that he is my father, and like any good father, he's willing to let go once I tell him how repentant I am, or how sorry I am, or sometimes that I'm not sorry, but I wish I was sorry, and I'm really feeling bad that I went ahead and sinned anyways. His nature towards me when it comes to forgiveness is super kind. 
And then I found that his covenant, I can trust. As in his promise that, listen, I shed my blood for you so that your sins may be obliterated from my presence. That even though they were red as crimson, they are white as snow. That I removed your sin as far as the east is from the west. I am very sure of the death of Christ on the cross as an absolute forgiveness for me. So there's his word, his nature, his, and then the last thing I'm very sure of is his heart or attitude towards me. His heart or his attitude towards me. When it comes to forgiveness, you know there's not been a single time in my life where I've asked for, I'm not exaggerating, there's not been a single time in my life where I've asked God for forgiveness and not only does he forgive me, but after he forgives me, he comes and says something to me that is so blooming nice that it restores me. It just doesn't leave me forgiven. It restores me. It's, it's, like, it, it, it's like a parent forgiving a child, but after forgiving a child, as a child walks away with the head held in shame, thinking, yes, he's forgiven me, but I shouldn't have done it. The parent goes, grabs the child and says, you're my favorite. There's never been a time where I have sinned and he's not come and said, Jacob, not only do I forgive you, but I just want you to know how precious you are to me. His heart towards me when it comes to forgiveness is so marvelous. I never doubt his forgiveness towards me. And in answering this question, God said, so now you see your problem. Because when it comes to other areas of my life, I'm not able to rely on him because I find that his word has been diluted by my experience. His word has been diluted by my experience. His word may say something, but I've experienced the opposite so many times that his word is now diluted. It doesn't have the same strength. That when it comes to his nature, I'm not confident of his nature because my experience tells me uh, he might fail. When it comes to his covenant, I feel like, yes, he hung on a cross. Yes, he said it is finished, but the covenant isn't guarantee enough. Because my experience says otherwise. And what happens in the process? It makes you hesitant to ask for anything in that area. You're scared to ask because if you ask, what if he doesn't come through? It'll cause you to be disappointed again. It'll cause you to resent him again. And why would you want to resent the one you love? And so what do we do? We don't ask. We just hope. Hope ain't good enough. Hope is a little better than wish. I wish this would happen to me. I hope this would happen to me. That still ain't good enough. So we want to talk about solutions. How do we get past this? How do I solve this? This is why many of us would rather resolve things ourselves or reason it out in our heads than go to God because our experience has taught us that this is not an area where you can rely on God. And you can be stuck there and go to your grave. Any questions? Yep. Yeah, nature is character. Uh, attitude is the heart uh, that the character is expressed through. So nature is my character. So my... Uh, uh, so, l let's say I was the most generous person in the, on earth. That's my character. The uh, hard attitude is when I actually buy you a car. 
So that's how it works. Any questions? Um, please, did I just confess a whole lot of my inadequacies or is this real for you? Sue says it's good. That's uh, very cryptic. You don't, know, you don't know whether it applies to her at all or not, but it's good. <laughs> Anyone else who wants to give me a little more support than that? You can relate, okay. Karen relates. Oh, sinful woman. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I could get to a place where I can say that in every area, I am easily able to rely on him that there is no fear and that I'm absolutely confident. Unfortunately, that ain't where I am. Yeah, it's a shame after all these years, but at some point you have to wake up and smell the coffee. So how do I solve this? Uh, one of the first things we can do, guys, is I know in this church we talk about uh, being a much-loved child. May I just change it around a little? Instead of going for the I'm a much-loved child, can you begin your day by receiving him as your father afresh? Our confession is usually, I'm a much-loved child. Why not change it to, every morning, I receive you as my father. And then, so ever since I started down this teaching, I've been multiple times during a day, I'll go and say, I receive you as a father, but what kind of a father? I've got my own little acronym for it. You can come up with yours. Mine is, I know that doesn't go well with father, but it's the best I could come up with. So, uh, so how do I, so I go from, I go to him quite often. I mean, I already done it twice this morning. Uh, where I say, Father, I come to you and I receive you as a father first. Every morning I'll receive you as a father. Because I have to once again catch the fact that you're a good father. So for me, father, when it comes to this, this is, uh, Father, I receive you as a willing father. You're a willing father. You're a willing father. The other one was either holy or hallowed father, meaning... There is something about your father that ain't, um, that isn't ordinary. There is still a sacredness, a holiness about you. Why is it important to put that in? Because it makes you realize that in his ways with you, he cannot compromise holiness. That he's not a father who can do anything that is impure or wrong. The next one really caught me. He's highly aware of what's happening in my life. He's not unaware. It's not, uh, remember guys, when we talk to him in prayer, it's not like he's going, oh, really, I didn't know. <laughs> prayer is not informing him. Prayer is an admission of your condition, which he already knows. So I find this very helpful, that he's aware. He's aware of every ache, pain, thought, sadness, fear. He's aware. He's aware of my wrestlings and my agony and my, how am I going to manage this? He's aware. I find that very helpful. I mean, um, if I being as evil as I am, uh, when I become aware of something in your life, uh, the way I get involved, I'm fascinated that I actually care for you. Um, 
really, it surprises me. And if I can feel that way about you and become aware of something and do something about it, how about this father who is highly aware? The next one is um, he's in control. He's in charge. That is very helpful because there's nothing that's happening in my life that he can't fix. He's in charge. He's in control. Not of the universe. Of the universe, yes. But he's in charge of my life and he's highly responsible as a father. He takes his responsibility seriously. He takes his responsibility for Jacob seriously. He takes his responsibility for Jacob seriously. And finally, he is kind. He is kind. He is kind. So I've been doing this for a little while now going to him and receiving him as a father. And what then happens is, in really difficult situations, in situations of fear, in situations of not being confident, this begins to renew confidence, bring me back to a place of not being afraid. It stops me from sinking into orphanhood. Orphanhood is when you abandon uh, help from the father and try to solve things yourself. It prevents me from being the elder brother the elder brother is the one who lives in the house but doesn't know he is loved. It prevents me from being the prodigal son. The prodigal son is the one who just wants the promises but doesn't want the father. The prosperity gospel is prodigal. That's too general a statement, but it fits in a few places. So that's the first step. The second step is, can you try and see if you can make obedience, if you can make obedience and pleasing him, the main focus instead of the outcome. instead of the outcome. Part of the reason we are afraid is because we don't know what the outcome is. We don't know whether it'll work. I mean, I remember Darshan saying to me yesterday, hey, Jacob, when I go to back to Toronto, I don't know if this is gonna work, man. Like you said here, this is my last shot. I've tried everything else. I don't know if this is gonna work. And yet, in his obedience, he has pleased God. Can I shift my focus to obedience and pleasing God? Where, oh God, this is what you've asked me to do at present. I'll do it. Oh God, I want to please you. How do you do obedience and pleasing? What is obedience a, a, an outcome of? Obedience is an outcome of love. Pleasing him is an outcome of faith. Because it says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. And if you love me, you will obey me. What if in every area of my life, be it when my body is hurting, be it when I'm scared of something nasty happening, be it when I'm running out of money and don't have a job, be it when I'm stuck in a situation that I can't extricate myself out of, what if my two main f uh, um, f foci, focus, whatever the word is, would be one, hey, Father, I'll be obedient in whatever you ask me to do, and I'll try to please you by trusting you. How the outcome works out, 
I'm going to pick up the desired outcome that I have in my heart and give it to you like Play-Doh so that you can shape it. Because this I know, that whatever you do will be beyond what I can ask, think, or imagine because Ephesians 3.20 says that. So here is my desired outcome. I'm not going to abandon my desired outcome. I'm going to have expectations. But here is my desired outcome. This is what I'm hoping will happen. But here is the Play-Doh of my desired outcome. Could you now begin to mold it with your nail-scarred hands? Because I know for a fact that it is going to come out better than I can ask, think, or imagine. So it doesn't matter whether it's a pain in my body, whether it's money I need, whether it's the salvation of somebody, whether it's the freedom of somebody, whether it's marriage, whether it's finding the right person. It doesn't matter what it is. These two things kick in. Because we can only control our obedience. We can only control pleasing him. He controls the outcome. The Bible says it again and again. Man can throw the dice. God controls the outcome. And the thing is, when it comes to his children, I do not, you know, in hindsight, everything that I look at has turned out better than I desired. Any questions? Third, let's redefine faith. Let's redefine faith. I know you know what faith is, but I'm just writing it down differently. Faith is the assurance. I love it. Faith is the assurance. It's this absolute assurance or the title deed. Or the title deed. This is an old way of saying it. A title deed was what you would get when you would buy a home. Before you occupied the home, you would get a title deed saying the home belongs to you. I remember getting a call from um, this guy called Raj in Surrey saying, hey, just want you to know you qualified for your car. And I was behaving as if I already had the car. Why? Because he just called me and told me I have the car. This is the word of a man who's saying, I've gotten the car, I've been approved, you got, you got the car. And so I'm behaving like I already have it. I'm cleaning my old car because I'm going to return it. But it's the word of a man. The title deed is something you have in your possession, even though you haven't occupied what is actually yours. It's the assurance or the title deed of things, of things I hope or expect Because it's divinely guaranteed. Because it is divinely guaranteed. It's divinely guaranteed. So it is important to hope and expect. You must have a hope or an expectation. It must be divinely guaranteed. As in either in the word or God has already shown it to you. And then you already have the assurance of the title deed. It is perceiving as real fact 
that which my senses, that which hasn't been revealed to my senses. It's perceiving as real fact that which hasn't been revealed to my senses. It is perceiving as real fact that which hasn't been revealed to my senses. And so I started cleaning my car, started getting everything out of the car. Why? Because I was going to return the car and get the new one. There was no guarantee I had on paper. It was just the word of a man saying, you've been approved, you can come and pick up your new car. And that caused me to begin to walk as if I already had it. This is important, guys. This is important. It's not a denial of your present circumstances. It's not a denial of your present circumstances. But it is imposing a new value. It is imposing a new value. It is imposing a new value. It is renaming what you are going through. There's this cool story in 2 Kings 4. It's about this woman who had a son. A son that was given to her as a promise from God. And he dies. He has a headache and he dies. He dies and she rushes uh, to meet the prophet uh, for help. And as she's going on her way, they ask her, what's wrong? It's a Sabbath. How come you're uh, rushing away? And she says, uh, it is all good. All is well. And then uh, she goes further down and people ask her, why are you, why you, where are you going? Is everything okay? And she keeps saying, it is well. She gets to the prophet's servant, Gehazi. Gehazi asks her, is everything okay? It is all right. It is well. What was she doing? She was assured of things that she was expecting or hoping because she knew it was divinely guaranteed. So she began to walk and talk and behave as if it was a done deal. And so the prophet comes and he finds the boy dead. He lays down on the boy, prays for him. The boy wakes up and sneezes seven times. I was thinking, poor guy, if it was a COVID case, they would send him back into isolation immediately after having raised him from the dead. But that was just a thought on the side. So, because he sneezed seven times. sneezed twice and you get thrown into isolation nowadays. So, um... You see this in Second uh, Kings 4.23 uh, where the woman keeps saying it is well. Guys, one of the things you have to realize is it is important for you to speak what you believe and we'll get there slowly. Any questions on this? Keep learn, learn this by heart. Faith is the assurance or the title deed of what I hope and expect because it's divinely guaranteed. I have to keep going back there. I've got a rotator cuff uh, that is so painful that I can't play um, uh, Mike's guitar. Last week, I asked Mike to bring his guitar. I started playing it and realized that it is so painful that I can't play the big guitar. So I asked, uh, what's her name? Emily, no, not Emily, Jane to get me her guitar. And I played the small guitar. I had to change the length of the belt today. Sheldon helped me do it. Because in any other position, my arm will hurt like crazy. It's been very painful when I go to sleep and stuff like that. But having said that, 
I also know that faith is the assurance of things I hope or expect. And what is my hope or expect? That will be completely repaired. That will be completely healed. Completely healed. And why do I have this hope or expectation? Because, I'm, because it's divinely guaranteed. But I still have to go back to the Father who is willing, who is holy, who is highly aware of the pain that I have, who is in charge and in control, and who is super kind. And so I already know the outcome. So even though it may pain, it will not stop me from playing the guitar or going about life as normally as possible because it is just around the corner. It cannot be stopped. It must happen. I'm not even saying it will happen. It must happen. And so what if two minutes from now, I feel otherwise about it? Well, three minutes from now, I'll go back to this. And what if eight minutes from now, I feel bad again? Ten minutes from now, I'll go back to it. What if? Uh, yes, there are two ways of speaking. One is to speak because you believe. Two is to speak so that you believe. Kids do that all the time. I know daddy's going to get me a car. I know my daddy's going to get me a car. I know my daddy's get, and when he sees his daddy coming, it gets louder. So there's two ways to do it. Either you speak because you believe it. That is the preferred method. Or you speak it till you believe it. One is you're saying it because you made it. The other one is faking it till you make it. These are not biblical scriptures or anything. Just telling you. And rename it, guys. It's not a denying of my... I'm not denying that my hand hurts like crazy. I find it hard to put this jacket on. I was asking Jeevan to help me <coughs> put this jacket on. So I'm not denying the circumstances, but I refuse to focus on it. Instead, I know a new value will be imposed and that value will be healing. Rename. Rename what you're going through. Is your hand not well? Rename it. Hand is well. Doubt, on the other hand, is wavering between two minds. And what doubt does is it believes God's ability, but it questions his methods, it questions his motives, and it questions his character. Doubt is not, for us as Christians, doubt is not thinking God cannot do it. Doubt is believing God is able, but questioning his methods, his motives, his character. And so you drown in what, why, how, when. You drown in what, why, how, when. What's going to happen? Why isn't it happening yet? How is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? And you drown. And the only way to overcome doubt is to go back into the Word. Next one, 1 John 5, 14, 15. 1 John 5, 14, 15. Beautiful verses. These verses you must learn by heart. This is the confidence that I have. That if I ask God anything according to his will, he hears me. And if he hears me, then I know that I have as my present, present possession whatever I asked of him. 
just listen to it again it's just crazy it is so it is so straightforward this is the confidence that i have that if i ask god for anything according to his will he hears me and if he hears me then i can be sure that i can have as my present possession whatever i asked him for so make sure when you ask that you fit your asking into his will make sure when you ask that you fit your asking into his will sometimes god will say hey do you want to rephrase it again father i want a million dollars father can you rephrase it again father can i have 100 dollars cuz i have this need to meet immediately meaning fit it so that it is within his will find out what god's desire and will for you is fit it into his will know the parameters within which you are supposed to operate at present and then once you do you have to behave pre- i mean here's a scripture it says you can have you this is the confidence that i have that if i ask anything according to his will he hears me and if he hears me i know with certainty that i can have as my present possession what i have asked him for and so it goes back to the whole idea of behaving as if you have it even though it hasn't come into your hands yet go ahead ruth first john 5 14 and 15 you have to behave like you have it even though you haven't received it really jacob this is like brainwashing it's psyching yourself up um, you would think so but unfortunately jesus said it mark 11 verse 23 where he says uh, when you pray believe that you have already received it and it shall be yours i know these uh, i mean churches don't even talk about this anymore because they think it's a faith movement no it's jesus movement in mark 11 23 he said this whatsoever jacob you believe you say in prayer that whatsoever you pray believe jacob that you have received it and it shall be yours you are to behave like you believe before you receive it you have you are to believe learn how to behave learn how to behave like you believe before you receive it examples abram guy is 99 years old but he behaves like he actually believes god that he is going to have a child peter never walked on water behaves like he actually believes it because he steps out of the boat one of the things i love doing whenever there's a challenge of faith is i like doing something that will defy what i'm going through so i remember once um, i mean uh, don't try this at home this is only for professionals like the most tv ads say so one day i felt like my um, uh, left side of my chest was hurting and my hand was hurting i'm thinking was got to do something about this so i used to have a treadmill then that was graciously given to me by a few people so i don't know why uh, but um so i decided to go on the treadmill and i decided well if my um chest is hurting and my hand is hurting let's just go and uh, really wreck this treadmill for the next 30 minutes and so i was on the 30 minutes 
uh, that's the longest I've ever been on the treadmill uh, in my life. And after 30 minutes, I got up and I thought to myself, looks like you're in fine shape, so keep going. So I'm not asking you to try it out. All I'm saying is sometimes you have to behave like you actually believe that you have received it. Any questions? Any questions? Go ahead. How do you know God's will? The easiest way would be if the word says so, then you know you can. it is yours. So that is the easiest way. And most, many, many, many things are covered just through the simple promises of God in the Bible. And then there are specific things said to you where you have this absolute surety it's God and you got to step out and you you may find that you're falling flat on your face but it's uh, soon you know how to get up and keep walking like every trip I've gone on I've had to step out in faith go to Mongolia don't know anybody there but you go there and then whatever needs to happen happens your dad and me have gone to places together where we knew nobody but something would transpire so either it is because you've heard his voice or it is because of the word of God what is the risk? You might lose a lot of money and you might look really foolish. I mean, you think you don't look foolish? Look at what you've gone and done. Who in their right mind would do this? You had an apartment, you had a job, you had a girlfriend. Anyone who had any sense would stay there. But you've taken this ridiculous step of faith and you've stepped out here. Crazy, right? You don't laugh. But this is what adventures and uh, God moments are made up of, guys. This opens doors so wide, so wide, that it changes everything. Behave as if you have already received it. I'll take five minutes more. Here's another crazy, crazy thought. Whatever you ask for in prayer according to his will, you actually receive it immediately in your spirit. You've got to realize this. God ain't delaying stuff. Whenever you ask for something, know that you've received it in your spirit. Receive it in your spirit. It is his will. The Bible says in the Amplified, it actually says, you have it as your present possession. How can you behave as, you've, as if you've already received it if you don't think you've already received it? You have in your heart to begin to believe that, ah, shucks, God, I asked according to your will, so it is granted to me. I receive it in my spirit. And then, having received it in my spirit, I begin to watch it transpire in the physical. And if that takes a second, a minute, a year or 25 years like Abraham, I'll keep going to the fact that I will still behave like I believe it, because I have received it. There's this thing called immediacy of faith and the eventuality of faith. One is you receive it immediately, and then it says with patience, cultivate the promise, Hebrews 10, 34, and 35. Patience and immediacy have to work together. When they combine, you have what you believed for, and you receive it. 
You know, I think Acts 29 has a corporate ability to believe for great things, but does not, has not yet built up the individual capacity to receive things that are ridiculous. We have the corporate ability. We, as a people together, can achieve great things, uh, putting our faith. But when it comes to individual lives, we have to up our game some more. This, is, this involves a little bit of work, guys. It involves going to the Word. It involves believing God. It involves receiving the Father. It involves going through this process. Why go through all this? Just resign yourself or call up the banker or call up your mother or call up your father and fix it. But you never get to enjoy the adventure of God when faith is absent. Never. Remember you have an active enemy. Remember you have an active enemy, the devil. Now here's the thing, the devil knows that he cannot penetrate the shield of faith. Ephesians 6 verse 16 says that you can quench the arrows of the evil one with the shield of faith. So the devil knows that he cannot penetrate the shield of faith. So what does he do? He tries to dissuade you from taking it up or persuade you to lay it down. And what trick does he use to do this? Weariness. He wearies you. He wearies you so that you won't go again and pick it up because you picked it up too often. He either dissuades you from picking it up or persuades you to lay it down because the, the weapon that he uses most effectively is attrition. Where the intent is, can I keep up this pressure so that Jacob decides, eh, this is too much work. But if you can stand, you will break a bastion that he has built over years and it will never rise again. Never rise again. You can't imagine the number of times I had to stand up with faith against sickness. For years I did that when now that bastion's crumbled and it is not much of a fight. When you arm wrestle someone, once you beat them three times, they come to the table afraid. I've tried it with my 11-year-old nephew. He's dead scared of me now. So, don't cast away your confidence. There's an old song, children's song. Keep the switch of faith turned on. Don't cast away your confidence. Keep the switch of faith turned on. Don't cast away your confidence. Hebrews 10.35. Because great are the rewards. Great are the rewards. Let me conclude. Use words, guys. When you feel like you're weary, when you... My God, man, I, this is such a cancer... In, in our midst, we do not use words. If, if, if after being persuaded, you cannot use words, it's highly, unli it's highly unlikely that you will use words at home. Guys, I, I know that most of you are resilient and stubborn, but may I say something to you? You're not disciplined. It doesn't, it's not a blanket statement. Maybe some of you are very disciplined, but, 
by a general rule, we are stubborn, but we are not disciplined. Stubbornness is what happens when we take a stubborn stand. Nope, this is the way I want it. It's not childlike, it's childish. It's churlish. It, it just demands its way. Discipline is something else. Discipline happens in here. Discipline repeats, 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 repeats. And that is painful. And if we don't learn it now, we will not learn it in our old age, unfortunately. Stubbornness and discipline are two different things. Don't confuse them. Just because you can take a stubborn stance doesn't mean you're disciplined. It just means you're stubborn. I need to make that very clear because I've seen people in this church who really can stand, have a high threshold of pain, can be stubborn, can get things done. But ask them to do something repeatedly over a few weeks, months, and you don't have the discipline for it. These things are learned through discipline. You gotta do it again and again. What, just because you get knocked down five times a day, you're gonna stay down? Really? Phoebe would never walk. I'm sorry, I'm getting irritated. Use words, guys. No, actually, I'm not sorry at all. Use words. Use words. Use words when you're feeling weary, when you're feeling beaten down. Use words. Your faith or the lack of it speaks. Your faith or the lack of it speaks. Use words. It has a power to impart life or impart death. I know you know that. It's in Proverbs 18 verse 20. Use words. Steer your ship to the port of his calling by agreeing with him, by confessing things that he is saying about you. Remember, he said, whoever says to this mountain, be removed. Whoever says to this mulberry tree, be removed. There is this combination when you use words of faith and of authority, where you begin to speak to things. Be foolish, speak to things. Speak to your back, speak to my shoulder, speak over people. Keeping it in our heads will not do any good. You don't know how many times I've said, Rotator cuff, you will heal. You will be repaired. God has healed my body over and over again in the last 32 years. This hand will be healed. And why am I saying it so confidently before you? Because I'll come and show you soon. This hand moving like a famous cricket bowler. Yeah. Right now I'm like that Sri Lankan bowler who has to throw the ball like this. What's his name? <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> apologies, apologies all around. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but soon it'll be back in form. It's only a matter of time. This shoulder will repair. I'm not. I'm not saying God, you better do it. Okay, my my dignity is at stake. No, <laughs> it's the most no normal thing for him to do. After all, he's my father, and he's uh, he's uh, whack. Uh, he's willing. He's holy. He's aware. He is uh, in charge, and he's kind. Yeah. Use words, guys. Use words. And let me end with this sentence. In my, the more I quote C-O-A-T, the, the more I quote with my heart with faith, the more I will reflect God's presence and promise. The more you do this, the more your heart gets quoted with fresh, um, 
the fresh paint of faith. And if you don't, your heart will reflect your circumstances. If you do, your heart will mirror God's promise and provision. That's the strange thing with faith. You can't take a vacation. Because when you take a vacation, the paint dries and it begins to reflect your circumstances. But as you begin to walk in faith on a daily basis, and here is a question I've asked Acts 21 before. Is it your preference to walk in faith? Or is it something you use when things are difficult? Jesus' preference was to walk in faith. It wasn't like, oops, no food today, let's go fishing, let's believe for fish. No, it was his preference. And so then your heart gets coated with faith and it begins to always reflect the promises and provision of God, while otherwise it will mirror your circumstances. And so faith has this ability to pull or connect what is available from my Father in heaven to my circumstances on earth. What a beautiful sentence. I don't know whether I came up with it. Um, really, I forgot. Maybe it's someone else's because it sounds really good. Faith pulls or connects what my Father has in heaven to my circumstances on earth. It's like, it's like when you pull two wires and connect them and the Christmas tree suddenly uh, comes alight. It's like that. You, faith pulls from heaven what my Father has for my situation and connects it to my circumstances on earth and suddenly things begin to transpire. Any questions? Okay, Sheldon, you want to come and play for a second? Um, Emily, you want to sing Miracle Worker? And we'll end with that, and then uh, if anyone needs prayer, um, can pray for you. Okay. Pardon? You are here. Da, 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 da. Can I have the words for Waymaker? Miracle worker, promise keeper, that 
Even when I don't see it to work 
You never stop, you never stop working.